We're going to be in 1 Peter. That's where we're going to be diving in. We'll see how good it is. We may go to 2 Peter. If we don't like 1 Peter, get rid of 2 Peter. But if we like it, we may be rolled into 2 Peter. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I want to I start off today with maybe a really, really hard question, and that is, who do you think wrote 1 Peter? Go ahead, shout it out. Who do you think? Okay, yeah, it's not a trick question. It is Peter. just want to let you all know. It's like, oh, I don't know, Moses? I don't know. No, that's Old Testament, Okay. Jesus? I don't know. Not him either. Uh, yes and no, but uh, it's Peter. It's Peter. Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter, and I love Peter. Uh, I, I love Paul, but I really love Peter. Let me tell you why I love Peter even just as much as I love Paul. Paul wrote a lot, probably almost a, a, a three-fourths of the New Testament with all the letters that he wrote in Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all that stuff. But Peter gets two books. He gets 1 Peter and he gets 2 Peter. And I love Peter so much because Peter's just a normal dude. Like Paul was like, I graduated at the top of my class. I was number one in Bible college. Peter was like, I know how to catch bass. <laughs> like, if y'all don't know, he was a fisherman. That's if you didn't know that, that went way over your head. You're like, I don't get that. What is that? Okay, he, he, he was a fisherman by trade. He, he wasn't any kind of theologian or deep rabbi school. Like, he was just a normal fisherman guy. And uh, he's the one that dropped everything to follow. He was fishing. And Jesus said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Dropped everything, family, boat, uh, occupation, and went and followed Jesus. But I also love Peter because Peter's just such a normal dude. He was like one of those guys, he's either got high highs or low lows. Like he's one of those, like he's either a one, two or a nine, 10. Like you wouldn't find Peter like in a four. Like he's either like all out or he's like, I don't wanna do this anymore, I quit. And we see this actually throughout a lot of the story of Peter. If you read the, uh, the gospels that Peter's the one that looked at Jesus and Jesus was like, who do people say that I am? And Peter was like, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus was like, yes, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father. And then the same conversation, same conversation, he starts arguing with Jesus about how he's not going to go to the cross. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. How I many know that's a, that's a crazy conversation? High, high, and a, and a low, low. Peter is also the one that when Jesus was walking out on the water, Peter, Peter was the only guy in the boat that said, can I come? Walks out, gets fade, walks out on the water, and literally a couple minutes later has so much fear, sinks in the same water. High, high, low, low. Peter is the guy that at the Garden of Gethsemane, whenever the soldiers are coming to, to, to take Jesus, he pulls out his little sword and he goes to chop off the guy and he just gets his ear. Bad swordsman, but he got the ear. <laughs> Jesus picks up the ear and goes, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> Defends Jesus like at this moment with the sword. Hi, hi. And a couple hours later denies Jesus three times. Low, low. He's a guy that was incredibly passionate. He was outspoken. Do I got any loudmouth people in here? Yeah. yeah, we already know who you were. You didn't even need to raise your hand. We know. We know. That's, that's Peter, y'all. That's Peter. Peter is, Peter's a fisherman. He's a normal dude. Uh, Acts, Acts chapter 4 describes Peter as when, when they saw Peter preaching, they said he is a common, uneducated man. In the Greek, that actually means idiot. Like idiotos. It means a common idiot. How many of y'all glad that Jesus even chooses common idiots to follow him? And I got, <laughs> ooh, we got a lot of them in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're in good company, y'all. So this is the guy who wrote this book. So fisherman didn't go to rabbi school, didn't have any of that, um, but followed Jesus for three years and has written one of the probably 
deepest theological books outside of maybe Romans, 1 Peter, 2 Peter are some really deep books, which tells us that, that even if you're not super educated, I mean, the Holy Spirit can download things in your heart that you don't necessarily have to get from school. And so this is Peter. Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory. So I'm the type of guy, do I have any people in here that like documentaries? Like you like watching documentaries. I, I'm a documentary kind of guy, probably super boring for maybe some of you in here, but especially if I watch a movie that's a real story, Lindsay and I, after we finish the movie, we'll go jump on YouTube or something and try to find the backstory to the story. Like that's the just kind of, we love that kind of stuff. We love learning about different things. I love all the sports documentaries about how these guys um, last dance and I've been watching all these uh, sports documentaries and I've been made, making Lindsay in bed watch documentaries with me. <laughs> she told me the other day, no more sports, okay. So I just love backstories. I love the backstories. So the backstory of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, if, you, if you're into backstory stuff, the, this book was written by Peter from Rome um, to the people in, in, in another area. You'll see in just a minute, they're kind of spread out all over the place. And he wrote a letter. And all of these books that we see in the New Testament, many of them, they're called epistles. They're letters um, that were written to the churches. And so nobody had Bibles. Like this was, their, this was their, what would end up becoming a part of our Bible that we have. But they would go to these churches and, and they would read them, much like you right now, gathering together, and many times it would be house to house and sometimes even in temples, and they would read the letter. Hey, we got a letter from Paul, from Paul or Peter. We got a letter. So 1 Peter is one of these letters, and he's writing it in about 60 to 65 AD is when, when he's writing it, so about 25 to 30 years after Jesus is resurrected and gone into heaven. And so uh, he's writing this letter to these, to these Christians, Christians that are in a church. Now, Here's what you need to understand, though, because this will set up context for the whole book that we're about to study. These Christians are under massive persecution, massive. So the emperor of the whole region is a guy by the name of Nero. He was one of the ugliest, evil emperors that ever lived. <clears throat> he, he, was so, um, he was so devious uh, he, like, he was trying to do something within the Roman Empire, and the Senate wouldn't let him do it. So many, many um, historians believe that Nero burnt Rome down. He's the one that set it all on fire, which it, you can go right back and read the history of this. So if people think the Bible isn't true, you can just go read the stories of this. And they believe that he was burning, was burning the city down. And so they started accusing Nero of burning the city down, and uh, Nero didn't like that. He, so he tried to kind of get the blame off of him. So he just deflected blame. And guess who he deflected it to? To the Christians. So what he started doing is he started going and capturing Christians, arresting Christians, throwing them in jail. But it wasn't enough just to throw them in prison and in jail. He wanted to torture. So what he would do is he would kill animals. He would have his guys kill animals. They would skin the animals. They would place the animal skin on the Christians, and then they would throw a wild pack of dogs in the prisons with them. And those wild pack of dogs, of course, would maul and kill these Christians. But that wasn't even enough. That's like, that's like child's play because what, what he was very well known for was he would kill Christians, he would tar them, and then he would hang them from trees, light them on fire for Rome to be a bunch of candlesticks of Christians being burned around the city. So imagine you're entering into Rome, you're entering into these areas where Nero is, is ruling, and you would just see these flames, and you wouldn't know it, what it is until you pulled into the city and realized it's burning corpse hanging in trees. 
So this is the man, the king, the emperor, that is ruling at the time and day that 1 Peter writes this book to these people. Now, here's the deal. None of us in here are under that kind of persecution. Um, like, none of us at all. How many are grateful, though, that we give, live in a country that we're free to worship and free to come to church? You don't have to worry about anybody barging in here and arresting you and throwing you in prison. We don't live in those day and age. And so, uh, so there's a lot of stuff that we really can't even compare us to. Because, listen, you, like, got a flat to church. That's not persecution, okay? Just want you all to know that. Like, someone made fun of you because you go to church. Like, that's not persecution. Like, that maybe is to the degree of persecution. But, I mean, no, there are people around the world who are suffering for their faith like this. There are people who are being beheaded. There are people that are having to hide in their homes and, and, and read the Bible together. There are places we have to smuggle Bibles into. And so we may share some of those stories in the coming days because if we're not careful, we, can, we begin to take for granted the freedom that we have. How I many know oh, we are blessed? But with blessing comes Apathy. With blessing comes apathy because we become a bit tolerant to things and we become a bit comfortable with things. Like our comforts become the highest things in our world, uh, in our lives. Oh, wait, we don't have coffee here? No, it's coming back, by the way. But no, there's no coffee right now. I got to sit next to somebody? Yes. Welcome to church. You're welcome. Isn't this kind of true, though? I mean, like, we get mad over stupid stuff. Um, and, and we've got people around the world that are literally giving their lives for the faith of Jesus Christ. So if anything, I hope in this, in this series, one of the things I hope is that we, we, we grow in, in fortitude in our faith, but I hopefully we also grow in appreciation for what we have. Uh, as we dive into this. Now, we're going to go to 1 Peter 1. So if you've got your notes, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to take some notes together. We are a note-taking church, by the way. So we'd love for you to engage in note-taking. These notes are on our app as well. If you have, type in OSC Connect in our app store, you can download these notes. But that's a little bit of the backstory of Peter. It's a little bit of the backstory of, the, of, of 1 Peter. And we'll dive a lot more into some backstory stuff as we go through this series. But we're going to start in chapter 1 with verse 1. And if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Come on. All right, so here we go. 1 Peter 1, 1 says, this letter is from Peter. So just in case you're wondering, Peter wrote it. And he says, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So right out the gate, Peter introduces himself. Hey, I'm Peter. Hey, I follow Jesus. I'm an apostle of Jesus. I have the authority that Jesus has put on me. All right, enough about me. Let's talk about you. That's literally, that's all you get. This is what I am. This is where I came from. Now let's talk about you. And Peter dives right into now trying to uh, help them understand who they are. He says, I am writing to, everybody help me with this, with God's, come on, let's say it like we really mean it, 930. I am writing to God's, God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he says, I am writing to God's chosen people. If you, if you read other translations, they say elected exiles, elected exiles. This is the NLT translation, so it says God's chosen people. Elect meaning God's chosen, and exiles meaning foreigners, so, sojourners, aliens. And Peter is saying to them, you need to understand and you need to know that if you have put your faith in Christ, 
realize you have only put your faith in Christ because God chose you, God called you. When Peter was, was invited to join Jesus, how many know he didn't go to Jesus, Jesus came to him? You are God's chosen people. Now, here's why this is a really big deal. Yet again, if you know Old Testament, there were a group of people called God's chosen people. They were the Jewish people, the Jewish race they, uh, out of, that came out of Israel. We, we know the story. And they were God's chosen people, the Jewish people. But when the New Testament gets in and Jesus ascends, he says, take this message not to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, those who are not my chosen people, because now everybody is my chosen people, and I'm calling them into this. I'm calling them into into, uh, into this life. And so Peter is writing a letter to a church who is primarily Gentile people. They're not Jewish people. So when they would hear God chosen people, they would think immediately the Jewish people. And, and Peter's wanting them to know, no, 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 I'm talking to you. All of you, I'm talking to you. You are God's chosen people, but you're also a foreigner. You're an alien, you're a stranger. And you need to remember that you are not of this world. And if this world is not your home, then you're gonna live different than the world that you're in. This world is not your home. So the greatest way that I feel like I can maybe explain this to you because we can get kind of tripped up in this, like what do you actually mean, is there's a movie that probably the majority of us watch when it comes Christmas time that I think so, so greatly illustrates what it is to be a foreigner in a different world and it's this movie right here. <laughs> Come on, how many watch Buddy the Elf every Christmas? You just got to put it on, and your kids aren't even watching it. You're watching it. Every, every Christmas in our home, this movie's on, um, and usually multiple times. And if you know anything about the Belt Home, like we are, we're some movie people, but we're also movie quote people. So like we will insert movie quotes into every conversation you can imagine. And then we'll try to ha have people figure out what movie we're quoting. I mean, this happens all the time. Like, your breath smells like beef and cheese. Okay, so we just, we do this. Santa, I know him. All right. So Buddy the Elf, if you know the story, if you haven't, I'm going to ruin it for everybody. If you don't know, Buddy the Elf was, was born in the U.S., born to uh, mom and dad, and then was, was not wanted, was pretty much neglected. I uh, went to adoption agency. If you know the story, Santa came, crawled into the bag, and ended up ending up in the, in the North Pole, and then was raised by Papa Elf, okay? Stay with me here, okay? I know we're with Jesus and Papa Elf. You never thought that would actually be the case, but he's with Papa Elf, and Papa Elf, he's, 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 he's growing in this elf culture, and he's learning all the words, and, you know, uh, learning all the phrases, and he's tinkering and making all the toys, and, and they just, he's, he, he doesn't realize that he's not an elf, even though he's like 6'6", six, six, and he's trying to figure out all this stuff. And so eventually, Papa Elf tells him, like, you're not from here. We raised you, I know, but you do have a dad, and he lives in the North Pole, or in, in New York. And so he travels to New York, and he's, and he's in the whole, whole garb, everything. And, uh, and yet, he's not really fitting in in New York either. And so they don't, you know, they don't, they don't really want him. His father doesn't still want him. They think he's weird. They're trying to get him to change the way he talks. They're trying to get him to change the way he, he, uh, he dresses, like everything. But, but he's, he's kind of from a different place. Even though he's from this place, he's from a different place. And so he's met with all of this resistance because he's trying to become like these people, but he doesn't fit in with these people. And it's this weird tension between this world and another world. And he believes in someone that no one believes in and no one thinks of. And so you've got this whole thing that's going on. Well, what does that have to do with us? 
Well, how many know we're made from another world? We have another person that we give our life to and no one has seen him either, but, but he defines how we look, he defines how we dress, he defines how we talk, he defines what we do, and, and we've got a world that's trying to get you to conform to its pattern, to conform to how it views, to conform how it does. It, it's very similar. And so we are in a world, but we're not of the world. God has called us to a different world. God has called us to a a heavenly realm to set our minds on the things of heaven. So that means, here's the deal, if we are in this world, we're going to live with the tension between uh, being chosen by God and being rejected by the world. Loved by God and rejected by man. You're going to live in this tension. Here's why. Because you're called to be different. You're not called to be like the world. You're not called to look like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world. You're not called. We're called to impact the world, but we're in the world, but we're not of the world because God has called us out of the world. And so you're going to look very, very different. And if you are a true follower of Jesus, your values are going to be different. Your beliefs are going to be different. The way you raise your kids is going to be different. The way you parent is different. The way you have a marriage is different. The way that you work with people is going to be different. The way you treat people who don't like you is going to be different. The way you spend your money is going to be different. How I many know we just called to be different? Amen. We're, we're called to be unique. We'll dive into this more in the coming, in the coming chapters, but we are called to be different. And so today we're going to look at one of the areas that God has called us to be different in, and that is a different faith, a different faith. That's the title of today's message. Every week we'll look at something that God is calling us to be different in, but today we're going to talk about our faith. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7, we'll jump to verse 6 and 7, we'll come back to the other ones in just a minute, but it says this, so be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though... You must endure many trials for a little while. And these trials will show that your faith is, what's that word? These trials are going to show that your faith is genuine. So the Apostle Peter is telling us that God's desire for us is that we have genuine faith. Genuine faith. Now here's the deal though. If we can have genuine faith, what's the opposite? false faith, fake faith, that there is a possibility that you have faith, but it's not genuine, it's false. And so I want to begin today, before we dive into what genuine faith really is and looks like, we've got to begin with what could be false faith. And there are those of us that are in this room, whether you know it or not, that may have put your hope in false faith and not genuine faith. So three types of faith. There's a lot of, uh, lot of types of false faith, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three. The first one is what I like to call hand-me-down faith. Hand-me-down faith. This is when I ask people, hey, man, uh, tell me about your relationship with God, and they start with this. Well, I'm Catholic, <laughs> or I'm, I'm Baptist, or, you know, I grew up in this church, or I go to church on this. Oh, wait, no, no, that's not the question I asked. So tell me about your faith with Jesus. And we immediately go to something that maybe our family did, or our parents did, or our grandparents did, or, or maybe even that we were a part of in some regards. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's a, that's a hand-me-down faith that somehow we think because we've been close to something for so long, it makes us that. Just as much as going to McDonald's, don't make you a hamburger. <laughs> Come on now. Listen, you can eat as much as you want. You're still not one. You can know all about it. You can know how to make it, but you still aren't one because it's a hand-me-down faith. And, and, and don't, don't mishear me. 
I'm incredibly grateful for those of us in this room, and I've had this, that had a godly heritage. If you grew up in a home that they went to church and they read their Bible and they were genuine in their faith, thank God for it. But listen to me very closely. Just because you raised in a godly heritage don't mean you have it. Just because mama prayed every day for you doesn't mean that that you have a relationship with God. Hand-me-down faith doesn't work. You're not going to get to heaven one day and stand before God, and he goes, hey, how do I let you in? You go, well, my grandma, well, I was raised in church. but He's like, no, 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 no. Listen, that doesn't work. It is only when you have a personal faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. Can I get an amen from someone in the house? It starts with you. It's got to be personal for you. This is what I prayed over all my boys when they were raised up. God, would they have their own personal faith with you? I know their mom and dad are pastors. I know they see me read my Bible. I know I pray over them often. But they need to have a relationship with you, not hand-me-down faith. they got to have their own. They've got to own their own. Because here's what ends up happening. We raise our kids in church, and the moment they, they graduate, they leave church because it was never theirs. It was mom and dad's. It wasn't theirs. All right, so hand-me-down faith is a, is, a, is a part of a false faith. Number two is an intellectual faith. Now, this one may be hard for you to understand, but I'm going to try to help you. Do you know that you can believe in God and still not have genuine faith? God, what? Well, I, wait, I thought, I thought faith really is believing in God. Well, we've got to understand really what faith is. Faith is not just belief. Faith is a custom uh, accompanied with action, with trust, with putting our hope in something. And you say, well, I, I, I believe in God. Well, <laughs> let me show you what James says. James says it this way. You say that you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So he says, hey, listen, just because you have an intellectual faith and you know about God and maybe you know Scripture and you know all those things that are there, hey, listen, how many know even the demons know Scripture? Even the demons know God, but you know what? They haven't put their faith in Jesus. So just because you know it intellectually, it doesn't mean that it has sunk the 18 inches to go down and you know him personally. So we want to make sure that I'm not just knowing it in my head, but man, I, I've, I've encountered God with my heart. And, and yet again, faith is, faith is not just putting our faith in someone. It's also the, the, the benefits of that or the byproduct of that is I trust him fully. All of you in this place, didn't, you had intellectual, watch this. All of you had intellectual faith that when you walked in here, you believed that that chair was going to hold you, right? When y'all walked in here, did y'all believe that these chairs would sit your butt down and it would hold you? Okay, watch this. But you really didn't have faith till you sat down. The moment you sat down, it went from intellectual to, okay, it really does. And there have been many people who have said it with their, with, with their head, yeah, I, I believe it, but until we put our trust in him and our faith in him and our hope in him that he gives us, then it becomes genuine faith. And number three, man, this one's probably the biggest one beyond hand-me-down and intellectual, is conditional faith. This is this, I'll follow Jesus as long as he fill in the blank. I will, I, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be into this Jesus thing as long as Jesus does blank for me. And the moment that Jesus either does one of two things, either the moment Jesus disagrees with me, then I'm out. Because I need a God who agrees with me, not disagrees with me. Or number two, 
I need a God that is always blessing me, and the moment that there's pain or problems, I'm out. Because if he's a good God, why would he let bad things happen? Well, if that was the case, then why did he let Jesus get crucified? Because many of us, if we're not careful, can have a conditional faith, meaning we put our faith in God as long as the conditions suit us. But the moment we lose a job, we lose a family member, we, 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 we lose whatever it may be, what, what we come to realize real quickly is we actually had faith in the thing, not faith in him. We had faith that our circumstances would always work out. And I can't tell you how many people that I have seen walk away from the faith because of problems, because of trials. Well, Pastor Josh, you, you said, no, 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 don't put it on me. No, 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 listen, it, it, God is good even when life is not. And the last time I checked, if you're a Christian, you're going to face some stuff. God never promised that you would go through peaceful conditions. What he did promise is you could have joy and peace in those conditions. Anybody been through some stuff and had some joy and peace in it? Count it all joy when you go through it. I don't count it all joy that I have to have it. Count it all joy when I go through it. So, So... False faith can be this faith that, yeah, I trust in God, but here's what it usually goes. People go, well, I trust in God as long as he fixes my marriage. But the moment my marriage goes south and the moment I don't trust God anymore. And you need to realize that 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 is a conditional faith. Our faith can't be in circumstances because they're always changing. And so if there's those of you, and I believe there are those of you who are either watching online or you're here in this room and you may be here and you're realizing as we're going through this, maybe some of this is true for you. Maybe there is a false faith. Maybe it's been a hand-me-down. Maybe it's been an intellectual. Maybe it's been conditional. Hey, here's the good news. God has you here because I think he wants to turn it to genuine faith. That's why God has you here. God wants this to change over into a real genuine faith in him. So let's talk about genuine faith. Genuine faith, number one, will be revealed. If you want to know, like, I wonder if I actually really do have genuine faith, don't worry. It will be revealed. We'll find out real quickly. Now, um, for those that don't know, I have, there's, there's three siblings in my family. There's me, there's my brother, his name's Jordan. He's a couple years younger than me. And then there's my sister, Joanna. She's years younger than her. She, she comes here to the church. And uh, my, my brother, Jordan, can you, can you guess who his favorite basketball player was? LeBron James? No, LeBron wasn't even around, all right? Michael Jordan was my brother's favorite Basketball player, of course. His name, it all fits. So every, we shared a room. Half of the room was his, half of the room was mine. Half of the room, Michael Jordan, everywhere. The other half, everybody who competed against Michael Jordan. Like, <laughs> Pippin, Stockton, not Pippin, Stockton, Carl Malone, you know, all this stuff. And so we had this rivalry going on. But, but more than that, like he, he loved, he had the Michael Jordan shorts. He had the Chicago Bulls jersey. He had the shoes. I mean, all he had, he had the whole game. Here's the only problem. Two problems, actually. One, he was white, um, white, white. And number two, he couldn't play. So he looked the part. You get out on a, you get out on a court, you'd be like, oh, Jordan's here. Didn't play like Jordan. Let me just tell you right now. He played like Forden, okay, like a fake Jordan. He was, did not have it. Some of y'all get that in a little bit. That's... So even though he had all the parts, even though he had all that, and even like when he would go do a lab, he'd like stick his tongue out. Like he'd do the same thing, just like. But the moment he got on the court was the moment he got revealed that he ain't Jordan. 
He Jordan Belt, not Michael Jordan. <laughs> because the moment he got put in the court, the moment he got put with some pressure and some competition and all that, it got revealed what he really was, which was a wannabe. Watch this. It's so easy for us to have faith in a room like this. But leave this room and on Monday, go work with a coworker that is a piece of work and you find out real quickly, are you a wannabe or are you real deal? Go through a marriage that's going through some really hard times. Go through a child that is cussing you out in your face and, and find out real quickly, are you a wannabe or are you a real deal? Your faith will be revealed. And the way that God uses to reveal it to us is this verse in verse 7. It says this, these trials will, what's this word? Show. Come on, let's say it again. These trials will show. show that your faith is genuine. Now, if there's anyone that had their faith revealed, it's the guy who wrote the book, Peter. Peter wrote this book, and 25 to 30 years prior, when he wrote this book, Peter had some moments where his faith was revealed. And in Luke chapter 22, this is what Jesus spoke to Peter, whose previous name was Simon, by the way. He changed his name to Peter. That's a whole thing. We'll probably get into that at some part in this, in this uh, series as to why that happened. But he says, Simon, Simon, watch this. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. Now, don't think for one moment that the spiritual enemy is after your faith. He is totally after you. And Jesus says, hey, don't, don't be surprised. The enemy's really coming after you. But here's the good thing. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. How many of you glad to know when you find out that Jesus is praying for you? Amen. I mean, no, it's one thing your buddy says, hey, I'm praying for you. It's another thing when Jesus says, I'm praying for you. And Jesus says, Peter, listen, I'm praying for you. Like when I go up in that mountain, I have my little private time with the Lord, and you guys wonder what I'm doing, I'm praying for you. Because the enemy is trying to take you out, and I know the call of God that's on your life, and I know what God wants you to do, and, and he's ready to take you out, and I'm, and I'm praying for you. And watch the next verse, and he says, Simon, here's, here's, here's how I'm praying. I'm praying that your faith should not fail. I'm praying that your faith does not fail. Now, I need to take a moment here, though, and explain something to you. Notice he did not say that you would not fall. Because if he said that, we'd be all out. We'd all be disqualified. I don't know about y'all. Is there anybody in the room that has had some falls in your faith? You've had some low moments in your faith. You came out of this church, and you're like, more than able. And then you got a bill, and you're like, I'm not sure. God, where are you? We've all had moments where we have fallen. Here's the difference between falling and failing. Failing quits, falling gets back up. Amen. Come on, a righteous man falls, but he gets back up again. Watch this. Peter fell a lot. He fell a lot. But he says, Simon, I'm praying that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again... So what this tells me, yet again, is that he's had moments. Jesus knows in advance where he's going to fall. In advance. And he says, there's going to come a moment where you're going to need to repent. And you're going to need to turn back to me. 
And when that happens, though, I pray that you strengthen your brothers. So 1 Peter is him strengthening his brothers. 1 Peter is the byproduct of him going, I'm not perfect. Man, I have fallen. I have... Because if we look at the story of Peter, think about this. Peter got rebuked by Jesus. That's a fall, right? Peter, uh, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus brought his top three, which Peter was one of them, into the garden, he says, hey, guys, y'all pray with me. Pray, pray, pray. And Jesus goes to the garden, and he's sweating blood because he's about to know what he's about to do. And he's, it's the whole, you know, not my will, your will be done. And he comes back to his guys, and they are sleeping, he says, guys, get up. I need you. Get up. Pray. Goes back to go pray. Comes back. Sleeping again. Like, Paul, Paul I mean, not Paul, Peter, like, come on, bro. I need you. That's a fall. And then hours later, literally, doesn't deny Jesus once or twice. He cusses a girl out and says, I don't even know this guy. I mean, no, that's a fall. I think if there's any moment where you're like, I think I'm out. Like, I know Jesus, I know you chose me, but I'm just a common idiot, and I think I'm out now. Can you imagine after all of that happened, though, when he gets the news that Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. Can you imagine the hope that rose up inside of him? A new hope that Jesus was there. And, and yet, kind of a fearful, like, what's going to happen? What's going to do? And if you go read John chapter 21, Jesus chases down Peter yet again because Peter goes back to fishing, back to the thing that God called him out of, and he calls him again, and Peter, he calls Peter, and he's fishing, and he says, hey, they have breakfast, and he looks at Peter, and he says, don't let this failure go feed my sheep, feed my lambs, go after this. So we see in this, from that moment on, Peter, something rises on the inside of him. And if you know Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, what ends up happening is he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And timid Peter, petrified Peter, becomes powerful Peter. And he stands up and he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Hey, listen, your failure is only final if you quit. If you don't quit, it's just a fall. Get back up again. So God is using, though, these trials and these things to reveal to him. If, you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. The only reason that you're able to sit in those chairs with confidence is because you've tested them. But now every Sunday you'll sit in these chairs with not a care in the world because it's been tested so it can be trusted. And the same is true with our walk with Jesus, our faith in Christ, is that it really can't be trusted until it's been tested. You can say you trust God with your finances, but it won't really happen until your finances aren't where you want them to be. And God shows up. You can say you believe God for healing. How I many know? But you don't really know it until he's actually delivered you, healed you, walked with you. Y'all with me today? Uh, you can believe God is a redeemer and God can heal situations, but unless your marriage is in a place where it needs God to show up, you don't know it till it happens. Because the moment it's tested, though, is the moment it can now be trusted. Number two, genuine faith will be refined. Not only will it be revealed, but it's also going to be refined. Question here, how many of you here hate pain? 
Raise your hand if you hate pain. Just don't, you're not a pain person. Like, you're you, you a little bit low on the pain threshold. Any, come on, anybody in here? Like, you, you, you're, not, you're not a pain person. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big either uh, on that. But we go through pain in life. Just remember that when Jesus calls you to him, he didn't say, hey, come to me, you'll never experience pain. He just said, hey, come to me, and I'll be with you in the pain. But pain is a part of living in a broken, sinful world that we live in. Pain's going to be a part of this that we, that we are in. But here's what I've learned. It's not the issue that we don't like pain. Here's what it is. We don't like pain that doesn't have a purpose. So let me explain it to you. Where's all my mamas in the room? Mamas, 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 mamas. Okay, you remember when you, when you were with child? And you remember when you delivered that child? What was it accompanied with? Say, say, it, say, it, like, say it like it really hurt. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People are like, I don't even want to say it because I want to forget all about it. I don't even want to say anything. That whole, that, those whole nine months, maybe a good portion of them, had some pain. Correct? Watch this. And the only reason you could get through it is because you knew it had a purpose. I don't know if any of y'all in here work out, but if you work out, anybody work out? Two people. Two people. <laughs> we're, we're all a pain avoiding people. Like, I don't work out. That's painful. I don't know. I ain't doing that. Yeah, I like Popeyes, not pain. All right, so. <laughs> Come on, we speak truth on this pulpit right here, all right? Popeyes over pain. Hey, by the way, you eat enough Popeyes, you'll be in pain. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Here's what I learned, though. We get to pick our pain. Um, but think about this. People pay memberships to go to a gym to be in pain. Like, think about this. Like, people pay money for pain. Why? Because yet again, you're, you're choosing the, the inconvenience of the current pain for the future blessings of the purpose of the pain. And here's where people get tripped up in their spiritual faith is they, they fail to realize that your pain can have a purpose. Amen. God never wastes pain. But we do. But God never wastes it. And if you don't understand why you're going through something, you will often be confused in what you're going through. Some of you are walking through some really, really tough times right now, and you're asking God this question. Why? 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 And God's going, hey, I want to I give you a little bit of a revelation here. Yet again, remember Peter's writing to a church who is being massively abused and persecuted. So how does he encourage them? He doesn't encourage them by going, hey, guys, it's going to be okay. Like, you'll be all right. He encourages them with giving them an explanation for it. How could a good God allow my, my, my family member to be lit up on a tree? Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good God to me. How could God allow my neighbor to be mauled by animals? That doesn't sound like a good God to me. How could a good God allow me to have cancer? How could a good God allow my spouse to pass away? 
How could a good God allow my, me to lose this job? How could a good God, like, I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Well, you need to realize some of the purposes for it. Because he goes on, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being, what's that word, y'all? Come on, let's say it again. It'll be what? It'll be tested. Anybody in here like tests? Oh, I hate tests. I definitely hate tests that are fire tests. As fire tests and it purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Now, I don't know if we've got any goldsmiths in the room. Probably not. We may. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but when you're mining gold and you find gold, you pull it out of the ground, you pull it out of you know, a mine or you pull it out of a river, like you don't pull it out as, a, as, a, as an earring. Oh, my goodness, look at this. Oh, so nice. Like you don't, it's done. Oh, such a, it's a nice, beautiful ring. Like maybe at the beach, but that's because it's already been done. <laughs> you actually go to really mine gold. When you bring it out, it don't look like gold. Looks like nothing like gold, actually. Maybe little hints of it here and there, but it is filled with impurities and other minerals and stuff. So the process in which they do to purify and refine the gold is, there's many different processes, but one of the main processes is through fire. Uh, let me give you a, an, an imagery of this. So they would take all of this fire, or all of these, this gold that has all of this impurities and stuff in it, and they would throw it right in. They would put it in what's called a crucible. And then they would take that crucible and they would put it in an oven, a fired oven, and heat it to 2,000 degrees. And, and, and when it gets to that point, what ends up happening is that the gold, the real gold, settles to the bottom and all that is impure rises to the top. So the fire separates what is real and what is fake? What is the right stuff? What's the wrong stuff? And how many know when we go through tests in our lives, the stuff that's within us that we don't like, how many know it comes up? Like I've said all the time, listen, you want to love Jesus? Stay single. You want to become like Jesus? Get married and have kids. <laughs> right? If you want to just love Jesus, just stay single. It'll be all good. But if you want to become like Jesus, you want to deal with some selfishness, get married. And if you really want to find out if you're really selfish, have some kids. And not just one, like seven. No, I'm joking. Like, <laughs> however many it takes, Lord. <laughs> but you get into these environments and these relationships, and what does it do? Anything that's within you that's not right rises to the top. Yet again, we can say we put our trust in God, but the moment that the test comes and the moment that the fire of life comes, anything that is not of God usually comes to the top. And unfortunately for many of us, it's the part that we don't like. It's the ugly parts. Now, here's the question. When it's in the fire, is it still gold? Absolutely. But there's just some things in there that wants to rise to the top. And how many know that this scripture just told us that your faith is more precious than gold? The greatest, most precious thing is your faith, your trust, your commitment to the Lord. He says there's going to come a moment where you're going to go through some fire. 
It's going to get hot. It's going to get hot. And the stuff that's not of God, it's going to rise to the top. And here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Take that out. Take that out. Take that out. This is what he does. If you don't like change, then you're not going to like following Jesus. Jesus invites us into a journey of not just believing in Jesus. How many know God wants us to become like Jesus? God wants to deal with anything that's within us that is not of him. It's the refining that he does. That's why James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith is producing something. Why am I going through this, God? Because I'm producing something in you that you can't get in easy times. Amen. You don't get faith like this in easy moments. You get faith like this, anchored faith, weighty faith, valuable faith, when it goes through the fire and comes out on the other side and God's dealt with all that stuff, there's a fire, there's a, there's a gold of your faith that is strong and sturdy and pure, but you don't get that any other way than going through the trials. Is there anybody in here that's been through some trials and you didn't want to go through it, but now that you look back through it, it did something in you that could not have been done any other way? Can I get an amen from anybody in the room that's been there? You don't know God's a healer until you've been sick. You don't know God's a provider until you have nothing but him to lean on. Like You don't know God is a reconciler and a redeemer until you've had an issue that needs to be reconciled and redeemed. When the temperature rises up, not only is it, oh, man, I need to stay away. Man, I don't want that. I don't want that. No, no. We need to ask our God, not why are you doing this, but God, what are you doing in me? Maybe my faith was put in my job more than it was in you, the provider. Yes. Amen. Maybe my faith was in a spouse, or maybe my faith was, faith was in a person, and the fact that that person has now hurt me, it, it has impacted me so much, and that's, that's a part of life is the hurt of relationships, but how many know we should never put our hope and our faith in man, we should only put it in God and God alone. Amen. God anchors this stuff inside of us. He strengthens you, and he calls you, and he says, it's producing, producing perseverance. Stick to it. Let's just keep going. Let's keep, let's go. Don't quit. Keep going. And it says, the next verse says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Mature. That you may be complete and that you may not be lacking anything. It's wild because all of us in here, if I was to ask the question, how many want to become more like Jesus? How many want to live more like Jesus? This room would probably be 100% hands raised. And then if I asked this question, how many want to go through a trial? No hands would go up. But what we fail to realize is that the trials are what produces the things in us to become like Christ. So I don't pray for them. Let me go ahead and clear that up. I don't like, Jesus, send me a trial, please. I want to become more like Jesus. I don't do that. But when they do come my way, I've got an opportunity to trust the Lord. Now, here's the deal. And you probably have seen this happen with people, or maybe it's even happened to you, that you've seen two people go through a similar trial, and one came out bitter, and one came out better. One one ran from God, and one ran to God. Right. Right? Yeah. It's because our genuine faith is revealed, our genuine faith is refined, and here's number three. Our genuine faith will be rewarded. 
Pastor Josh, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep going. Don't quit. There's a reward that comes for those who stand the test of time. Those who stand. Those who stand. 1 Peter 8, 1, 8 through 9. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Now remember, yet again, the reason why I did all the backstory of 1 Peter is because I want us to remember who, we're, who Peter is writing to, people who are enduring some of the worst afflictions and suffering you can imagine. And he says, rejoice! No, all I want to do is cry. All I want to do is grieve. Do you know that joy and grief can be in the same hands? that you can have deep abiding joy and you can walk through deep sorrowful grief and those things are not contrasting to one another, they complement one another. Why? Because our joy is not in circumstances, our joy is in Jesus. Why? Because when we walk through grief and loss, however much that loss hurts and there's pain, my hope is in Jesus. So if I've lost someone in my life, the good news is not, it's not I'll never see you, I'll, I'll see you again. Later on, there's a joy. Why? Because there's a reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The good news isn't that God saves us from our trials, but that he saves us from our sins. He saves us from our sins. And if we're not careful, we can treat God like a genie or like Santa Claus and go, God, I need this and I need that and I need this and I need that. But, but how are you grateful today that many times God does bless you with those things, but sometimes the greatest blessing you've ever gotten was not the trial went away or that the blessing was there, but how many know he saved your soul? He saved your life. Where would you be apart from him? Now, I want to end today, though, because I want to go back to the very beginning because the way you go through these trials of being refined and revealed and rewarded comes back to the very beginning of how he starts this book and how Peter starts his book is very similar to the way that Paul started a lot of his books, which was, let me remind you who God is and who you are. And this is how he starts it. Watch, read this with me. Uh, it says in, I'm gonna read verse two. I don't think we have verse two on here, but I'll read two and then we'll get into three. Do we, have, do we have verse two? Do we have God the Father? There we go, we do have it. Watch this, verse two. Everybody help me with here. We got a lot of red stuff, but I need you to, we're, we're gonna end here. But, but I want you to read this, and I want you to realize God is speaking this over those in here who have put their trust in Christ. It says this, that God the Father and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him. As a result of that, you, you're living in obedience to him. Not because you're trying to earn something, you're living in obedience to him because you already have something. You've been chosen and you've been known and you've been made holy and you're, you're walking in obedience to him and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. No more shame, no more condemnation. This is who we are in Christ. And may God give you more grace and more peace. Come on, how many of y'all want some more grace and more peace? God, give us more grace, more and more and more. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been saved. We've been born again. Salvation 
is not just a belief just in Christ alone. It, it, it is a faith and a hope in Christ alone, but it's lived out because God takes this stony heart and he makes me born again. Yeah, you're, you were born once by water through your mother, but you're born again by the Spirit through Jesus. That Jesus makes your soul, your life come alive. He says, you didn't do that, by the way. By his great mercy, we've done that. He's bestowed this upon you because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on, next verse, and he says, and now, because you're born again, now because you have grace, now because you've been chosen, now because of all this, you live with great expectation. With a great expectation. Not with a great depression. Not with a great fear. Not with a great, like, I don't know how this is going to work out. No, no, we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And he ends in verse 5, and he says, and through your faith, God is, what's he doing? He's protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now, let me end with this, because here, let me, let me share a concern. As the pastor of our Savior's church, I have a concern for people, and specifically people of our church, of our Savior's church. Here's my concern. We are some doers. We love to do. Hey, Pastor Josh, just tell me, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? We love to serve, we love to help, we love to give, we love, we love to do these things. And that's great. I, I'm so grateful that we have a church that are servants and love to do that. But I want you to hear me very closely because this is so vitally important. Life in Christ is not about what you do for him, it's what he's done for you. And everybody, everybody, just stop and just take a moment. I want you to hear that. Life in Christ is not what you do for him. It's what he has done for you. So the moment we get into this performance mindset of, man, I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I gotta do that, I gotta get it. No, 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 you don't have to. You get to. Man, I, I, I need to go to church. I need to go to church. You don't have to go to church. I hope, I hope you want to go, but you don't have to because of what he's done for you. And in the moment that you're like, oh, I don't know, I, I, God, I, I'm, I'm so broken, I'm so hurt, I'm so, I'm so this. Hey, just remind yourself, for those who have put their hope in Christ, hey, listen to me, God knew you, God chose you, God called you, God blessed you, God's protecting you, God's given you everything, he's given you grace and mercy and strength, he's with you, he's made you holy, this is what he has done. He's called you into this. Now, this is a, a past thing, a present thing, and a future thing. It's a past thing because how many know Jesus did all that before you even did anything bad? Before you ever sinned, before you ever broke his, his heart and his life. He, he, he did all that in advance. He knew you, he chose you, he called you, he did all that. But, but then we've got a future inheritance that, that's gonna come a day that whatever you're facing right now, no matter how hard it is, Paul would put it this way, it's a light momentary affliction because you have an inheritance. You have a day when all of this will be reconciled. You've got a future thing. But right now in the present, he is protecting you. He's protecting you. He's calling you. He's inviting you. He's refining you. 
He's refining you. So we've got to always remember that God's called us to be different. He's called us to be different. But that comes when we remember who he is and remember who we are. For those who are in Christ, those two words are the most important words of it all. Those who are in Christ. So I'm going to end today with asking this question. Have you ever been born again in Christ? Not church attendance. Not your family went to church. Not, yeah, I believe the Bible. Not, yeah, you know, I kind of have my hope in him because, you know, he's doing all these blessing things. No, 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 no. No, no. Have you been made born again in Christ? The Bible says, he who confesses with his mouth shall be saved. If we call on the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. There's those maybe that are in this room, and if you be honest, maybe you've got the hand-me-down, the intellectual, the circumstantial kind of conditional faith. But today, God's going, hey, it's going to be genuine faith. I want it to be genuine faith. If that's you that's in this room, with every head up and every eye open. You say, that's me. I want you to shoot your hands up all across this room. If that's you, there's anybody in this room. Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, anybody else? I want you to stand. I'm gonna give you a bold moment right now to stand. If that's you, stand, stand, stand. All across this place, that's you. Stand, 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 stand. I don't want hand-me-down faith, intellectual faith, conditional faith. Come on, I want a genuine faith, one that's in Christ and Christ alone. I want to do that today. Come on, OSC, let's celebrate with those. Come on, that are standing today. Come on, right there, where you are. Now, if you're, by, if you're by those people, I just want you to put your hands, or just stretch your hands towards them because this is a moment. This is, the Bible says that when this happens, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. If you're online and maybe that's you as well, just let us know. We want, we want to be able to not only pray with you, we want to come alongside you. But if you're here and that's you and you just did that, just, just repeat this after me. There's no salvation in the prayer, but there's a salvation in the posture of the heart, the confession of the mouth and the heart. And it says this. Would, would you just say this with me? Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe you went to a cross to pay for my sins, to take my guilt my shame, and you paid for it, for me, and you rose again to give me a purpose on earth, a place in heaven, but a relationship with God. So today, I turn from a lifestyle of living for self, and I confess you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior from this moment forward. I follow you. Thank you for giving me grace and mercy and faith to trust in you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. You can grab a seat right there where you are. Come on, we celebrate that. I want to pray for one more. I want to pray for one more group. Yet again, all heads up, all eyes open. If you're in this room and you're walking through a trial right now and it's just been intense, and if you be honest, your faith has fallen. It's fallen, not failed, but it's fallen. And like, God, I just, God, I need you. I need you. If that's you, would you stand all across this room? If that's you. Go on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This is your moment. This is your moment. Standing all across this room, all across this room, all across this room. All right, stand, stand, stand right there where you are. All right, 
I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to invite you to come up. I want you to come. Come out of your seat and come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Right now. Take a moment. Take a moment. Right here where you are. And I want to pray over you. If our prayer team is here, we want to pray over you. This is, I believe some things are going to break. I believe some things are going to be encouraged in this place. We're going to pray over these people. Come on, would you just stretch your hands towards everyone that's, come on, let's go. Make some room. That's all good. That's all good. Father, we love you. Would you just lift your hands all across this room, all those that are right up here on the front. Would you just lift your hands right there where you are? Just lift them up. Just lift them up. (laughs) Father, Lord, we just thank you. I thank you for every single person that's here. Lord, you know what they're walking through. God, you know how hard it's been, the challenges that they've walked through. And Lord, many of them feel like in this moment that their faith has, has fallen. Their faith has dropped. But I thank you right now that you are praying for them. You are praying for them. You have brought him here, them here for this moment to remind them that you are praying. You're praying that their faith would not fail, that their faith would not fail. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would, you would strengthen their faith in Jesus' name. Strengthen their faith in Jesus' name. God, may they believe. God, may you, may you raise their hope and faith in you today. God, I thank you right now. Lord, that you are strengthening them. I thank you, Lord. We are reminding ourselves today, you knew them, you chose them, you called them, you've blessed them, you've given them more and more grace and mercy. I pray that they would walk out of this place and whatever they're facing would not be greater than the God that lives inside of them. God, I pray, Lord, that there would be a great faith that rises up inside of them, knowing, knowing full well what you've called them to. And I pray, Lord, that you would be their provider. I pray that you would be their healer. God, I pray that you would be their reconciler. I pray that you would be their friend. God, I pray everything that they feel that they're lacking in, that you would provide more than they can even imagine. I pray for over their finances. I pray over their family. I pray over their health. I pray over their mental health right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over them, Lord, a blessing over them. May they walk out of here standing in the strength and the grace of the Holy Spirit that you have for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen.